Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Half Ashed. My name is Craig, and that gentleman, 1,850 miles southeast of me, is none other than the esteemed Senor Fischer. And we are coming to you live for the 144th time this 6th day of May 2016. No, 2016. I decided last recording I was going to say 2016, I think. Yeah, it's yeah, all about yeah, the details. It's all about the details. Well, you know, that is what this this podcast is about. Nothing to do with cigars. Well, the government has anything to say about it soon. We're going to have to fill the time with something. Yeah, that is true. I can come up with it. I don't know if you can, but I know I can. <laughs> I can sit here and click buttons. <laughs> cool every once in a while. You know, the chat room, even before we started recording... Somebody said, don't talk too long tonight, Craig. Somebody somebody even put that in there, so my reputation precedes me. Now, they were joking, but that's <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, Kip, how are you tonight, my brother? I'm all right, I reckon. I've got nothing to complain about. I can come up with something if you just want some complaints. You got nothing to complain about? What do you got? What do you mean you got nothing to complain about? Were you alive yesterday? <laughs> well, it's not August yet. I'm gonna well, it's not me. August yet, but... It's, it's like when it's like what? It's, it's like when your wife hands you divorce papers. You're not technically divorced at that point, but <laughs> still a bad day. That's true. Now my wife never handed me divorce papers, but I just thought that would sound worldly. <laughs> worldly. So, I am uh I am drinking already because one, it's rum. So why wouldn't I be? Two, we have an unbanded, and an unbanded is always one of the more fun uh, experiences we have on the show. We make uh, asses, jackasses of ourselves. Um, half. Well, halfway, yeah, that's true. Uh, and if I can... No, half enhance, asses. Well, yeah, okay. Uh, it takes two of us to be an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, I love it. Well, so if I can uh if I can speed up the process of making an ass of myself uh with a little rum, everyone should be happy about that. And of course, uh we do have some uh a lot to talk about with the FDA regs. The uh the summary came out yesterday, the full 499 page uh uh um Oh, I don't know, document, whatever the proper term is, uh, was read by very few, but uh, it is out there and it can be shared and can be understood and can be digested. So can we'll get into that later on. It can at least be shared and digested. The understood part's a little different. Oh, yeah, yeah, the uh, 20, 28-year-old uh, youth of America. Uh, I'll never quite understand that, but that's all right. We can get into that later on. Mm-hmm. So aside from yesterday, I hope that your previous comment of having nothing to complain about uh, was true. Mm-hmm. See? Good. You, How about uh, you know, I, mm, I've been doing some side work. I've got a, a family member who is starting a business and Needed somebody to put together the plans, and um, I helped him out. And so the last, uh, I guess it's been the last three weeks, but I finished the plans earlier this week. So the two weeks prior, um, 
I was working a lot of nights, a lot of long hours, trying to put together some blueprints, which is something I don't do on a daily basis anymore. So it made it fun. Plus, I was able to work in my office, which is my studio, which means that I can smoke cigars while I'm working. So I had a number of uh, pretty good cigars, pretty good cigar experiences the last couple weeks. And so that made for some good times, that and uh, not being burned out on on drafting. So I've been doing pretty good. That's uh, That's been the big stuff for me, that and getting my garden going. Cool. It, the weather is appropriate for that. Oh, yeah. If that was a question mark, weather is appropriate for that question mark. Um, yeah, the, the final frost date in Illinois is, is, uh, April 15th. It's so, generally not much different in East Tennessee in the mountains, but there was snow this week. This week? Yeah. Holy cow. That's, that's nutty. I had no idea. Wow. My, uh, my parents had snow last week, but they're in. I mean, they're in the foothills of the Rockies. That's not too terribly uncommon. I don't think their last uh, frost date is until the middle of this month. Wow. But, uh, man, oh, man, Tennessee with snow. Dang. Just in the high elevations, but still, it was it was not not the norm. That's, uh, yeah, that's that's definitely not the norm. I mean, what's the high elevations of Tennessee, 3,500? Yeah, more or less. The I mean, the... Highest point, I think, is Clingman's Dome, and it's 6,600, somewhere around there. But generally, 1,000 to 3,000 is pretty, pretty average. Hmm. All right, I'm surprised 1,000. We're, we're at 800, roughly. So Most of the uh, reservoirs in East Tennessee, the TVA reservoirs, hover around 1,000 feet above sea level. That's hmm. where I'm from, right between two of them. Well, I, uh, I've grown, I've matured in my, in my appreciation for agriculture a lot this year. Um, <laughs> I live right downtown my, my area, uh, right downtown in the town in which I live. And, uh, there's a, a little feeder railroad track that runs behind my place. And so the railroad, um, owns 50 feet from the center of the track towards my property and they don't really take very good care of it. And so every few years I have to go in there and kind of clear it out. There's a lot of winter kill and, and deadfall stuff. And, and so I pull it out and this year I, I've got uh, a couple garden plots. I did some big uh, five by 16 foot or five by 14 foot, I think um, raised beds and uh, so I just took all that brush and crap and the felled trees and I threw it in these big beds. I've got one that isn't filled yet. And uh, I put it on some segments of pine boughs and it just went up. It was, it was terrific. Mm. So uh, man, oh man, I'm, I've been, I've been having a lot of good times in the last couple of weeks, just doing things that I don't know, are a little bit more agricultural Let's put it that way. More than uh, what I would normally do as a suburbanite, I'll put it. I think that that uh, gets it across. Just doing your part to keep Illinois green, huh? <laughs> or not brown, at least, yeah. <laughs> and gray. I was sitting outside with 50 pounds of salt in case anything caught on fire and a 
uh, a cocked hose that I could uh, get going on. And what? <laughs> oh, <laughs> my! Uh, one of my neighbors came by, and uh, he started giving me a little bit of a hard time. Uh, not a hard time, but he was just kind of razzing me. He's like, "Hey, are, are we allowed to open burn in downtown?" I'm like, "No, we're definitely not allowed to open burn. Why?" And he's like, "Because you're standing next to a large fire." <laughs> well, I think of it this way: Don't on Friday and Saturday nights over summer you consume mass quantities of alcohol, have a very large bonfire in your backyard, right underneath a very large black walnut tree that. It's pretty much half dead anyways, and so it could catch on fire, burn, fall, set the neighborhood uh, ablaze. Oh, I didn't think of that. Yeah, so me, stone sober, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 50 pounds of salt ready to pour on something if need be, and a hose that's uh, charged and ready to go 50 feet away from anything at all. Maybe that's not the end of the world. (laughs) You know what his response was? I should think twice about those bonfires. (laughs) Okay. He walked away. He didn't have an issue. Hang a hot dog over it and it's a cooking fire. You can you can get away with that. Yeah. I guess that's not a bad not a get bad perspective. Well, we but, are like ten minutes into this and haven't even talked about what we're smoking. And since geez. our generous provider of these is in the chat room, maybe we want to talk about it a little bit. I think that's uh that is a mistake we should remedy right now. I I believe we have, uh, as, as I think I mentioned earlier, uh, an unbanded cigar. The 27th unbanded that we've reviewed this week is, is uh, from Mr. Dan Crouch, who I, I believe has contributed three or four times in the past. Yeah, um, or maybe even more. Well, we, uh, we've got a, a very lovely traditional 5x50 Robusto, pretty dark. I'd say this is bordering on Maduro. Uh, if not all the way to Maduro, definitely Colorado Maduro. Um, slightly veiny, uh, although it, it it doesn't look as veiny as I would have expected for what the some of the tastes coming off of this would make me think it uh, it may be. Um, not overly uh, the the appearance on this thing is not overly oily, though there is an oily feel to it. If you kind of rub the wrapper a little bit, you can you can feel some of that build up on your on your finger, but outright it looks somewhat dry, which is an interesting kind of phenomenon that it 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 feels a heck of a lot more oily than it uh, than it looks. Um, I am uh, solidly into the first third of this cigar and find it to be uh, very very characteristic jalapeno sweetness. It's just a touch of that woody flavor. Um, I'm also getting some kind of nice roasted peanut. Um, kind of a fatty roasted peanut, peanut butter uh, thing with the body. There's a bit of body to this, and that's where the peanut flavor is coming in on the finish. I like it. Flaky, um, mottled ash. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's a, it's a pretty darn good cigar. And from Dan, when I get a, a cigar that I'm enjoying, that's, that's doubly good because I know that Dan really prides himself on uh, – uh, on having cigars that are budget friendly, so it's always nice to find the little diamonds in the rough that he uh, comes across. Yep. <laughs> I am uh, just. What am I going to do with you? I am pretty much exactly halfway. I just put it against the rule here and got 
right at two and a half inches left because I lit up early because I was ready for a cigar. And I had failed to smoke the uh, first of these two this week and wanted to kind of get a little bit of a head start on that. Um, totally agree with the sweetness. I don't know that I would have said halapin sweetness just because the uh, the oomph behind it maybe isn't quite as striking as I find halapin tobacco. Sometimes it's it gives a little more, uh, has a little more amperage to it. <laughs> to to make a bad metaphor, <laughs> definitely get the sweetness. Some of that nuttiness I, I mentioned earlier. The sweetness earlier was was much more uh, in the forefront, and it reminded me of a, a candy called Whorehound candy or Whorefrost candy. Um, very much so, actually. But that's mostly subsided, and it's a little more kind of nutty and leathery. Um, than it was early on. I'm digging it so far, and, and I think I mentioned to you before we started recording that it had an extremely open draw before I lit it, but as soon as I put fire to it, the thing just, it, it's been just dead perfect. Just a, and just threaded the needle for me for my preferences and draw. Uh, it's really well made. It's been burning well. <clears throat> I just now touched up the wrapper but it wasn't wondering much at all. It was m more the fact that I had sat here and let it halfway go out and wanted to kind of give that a little touch of flame before I went on, but doing well so far. I'm digging it. I should have also noted that uh, I am, uh, or I had been uh, removing the wrapper off of this thing. I'd smoked about a half an inch, took about an inch of the wrapper off, um, because I was getting, uh, there was a, a flavor that was coming through that was kind of decidedly sharp or crisp. Um, and I wanted to see if it was the wrapper because I had originally thought that this wrapper may be broadleaf, but it, it, it has the appearance, perhaps the, the oily, um, deposits or the texture of broadleaf, but I wasn't quite getting... I wasn't quite thinking that it was. It's not. It's not incredibly veiny. Um, it has some of the character, the vein characteristics of some of the more recent Habano varietals, where you're going to get some of those minor capillaries, and then every once in a while you'll get a larger vein. But it's not so much um, that you can see all of them in proportion. You're only seeing some of the veins, uh, which makes me think. Well, maybe it's not. Um, uh, broadleaf, maybe it is a Habano, a varietal of Habano, but it had that crispness that I typically am finding with either a, a kind of a poorly processed Habano or maybe a Pennsylvania broadleaf, something that's that's just a little bit more amped up than the, the typical uh, Connecticut. So I also thought that perhaps it was a, like a Connecticut shade that had been processed a little bit further, a small, small, small um, segment of the crop because it is thick enough to be a uh, a darker leaf, but there's just a little something to it that's making me think that that crispness is throwing it off, that it's not completely normal. So uh, I, I wanted to test that out, taking the wrapper off, and now I'm getting back into the wrapper. I've smoked through that inch, so I'll be interested to see what how my thoughts uh, are impacted getting into the second third. Me too. I'll be hanging on the edge of my seat. Well... I'm at uh, 
I'm at the point where I think we probably shouldn't put off the discussion about the FDA any longer. What's your thought? <laughs> yeah, I reckon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, only been, yeah, yeah. Only been talking about this for years. Now it's kind of coming to fruition. <clears throat> well, we're, uh, I think we're going to move on to the news story of the decade here involving the FDA. And while we do that, or perhaps after we do that, we still hope to bring all our normal shenanigans and camaraderie. So stick around. Sure to be a fun and informative night of cigars. And who could forget the rum and conversation as well. So, Kip, I raise a glass to you. Look forward to talking about it. And uh, let's dive on in head first. Sorry, I had an insanely loud card stereo just roll by. I had to be muted for a minute. It sounded like a clown driving an ice cream truck as you unmuted. <laughs> no, it was far louder than any ice cream truck. I mean, they're now two blocks away. And oh, my I gosh. Hear wow. Yeah, I can still hear it, too. Um, well, <laughs> I really hear it. Holy cow. <laughs> well, it's the same guy, and he goes, and he'll park, and he's two blocks off. He'll park there and play that friggin' radio for 20 minutes sometimes. Well, the FDA... There's uh, there's probably not anyone who's listening to this now uh, that isn't at least somewhat aware of what's been going on or what is going on or what potentially would have been going on uh, that has now been put into fruition. The ball is rolling. The FDA has spoken. The dreaded option one has been chosen. And um, essentially, if a cigar has come out after... Uh, Valentine's Day 2007, it needs to be tested and approved by the FDA. Now, there are some time stipulations on that. There are some oh, some grace periods and so on. Um, chances are you know a little bit about this. You've read an article or two. Will Cooper did a spectacular job of breaking it down and then giving a little bit of an editorial uh, component to it today. Um, there's a lot to this, and... I'm sure we'll cover some of it, but I think a big uh, a big item that we should really hit. Kip, correct me if I'm wrong, but you and I you and I uh, discuss reactions pretty well. We we talk about how how we're we're all going to be impacted by things, and to me, it it seems like this FDA regulation, this prompting by the FDA. It might be the perfect thing for us to just knock out of the park to discuss while discussing what it's all going to mean. So what do you yeah. say? Shall we, uh, we kind of go down that road a bit? Yeah, you want to, uh, or I can do this, kind of hit the high, high points or the high spots for what it kind of says. Maybe not all the intricacies and detail, but broadly speaking, what, what, what's coming down the pike. Um, like Craig mentioned yesterday, the FDA uh, released their finalized plan, and we call them regulations, whatever. There's a lot of hubbub and people saying they can't do that. They're not a lawmaking body. and In reality, they are. Uh, the FDA and the EPA uh, don't operate through Congress for their laws the same way the rest of the government does. They 
issue finalized regulations and that becomes law. It doesn't go through the normal process. Um, the funding for that is the sticking point, the funding for enforcing the regulations, and we'll get to that shortly. But, but what this basically says is uh, pretty much everybody, all cigars, are going to have to have warning labels on them, uh, cover uh, roughly a third of the, uh, the major surfaces of a cigar box. Um, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, there's like a, a random set of six or so warnings that are going to have to be on there, um, large warnings, uh, similar to some of what you see in Europe for 10 years or more. Um, it's going to eliminate free samples. Retailers, manufacturers, nobody can hand out free samples anymore. So your your manufacturer rep walks into your shop. He's not going to be able to give you a stick to smoke uh, for free. Uh, which also probably, this is not detailed, but probably will have implications. Uh, and some of these, some localities already have similar laws that prohibit promotions. I think New York City at least has done that and quite a few small municipalities where you can't buy two and get one free. You can't do the free thing and whatnot. And if, if that doesn't exist, I'm sure that will, will at some point soon. Um, but cigars that were in the marketplace before that date, February of 2007, will otherwise be grandfathered in. They won't require approval. They won't require going through the process uh, the application process for approval through the FDA. Um, cigars that were introduced February 15, 2007 un until uh, 90 days from now, which is the first week of August, will have to comply, but they have two years with the possibility of a six-month extension for some of the smaller companies. Uh, they'll have a two-year period to comply, uh, at which time if they haven't applied and gotten, have at least applied, they're going to have to remove them from the marketplace. Um, now, if an application is filed, they can remain in the marketplace until the application's either been approved or rejected um, <clears throat> at the end of that two-year period. Um, so they can still be sold uh, pending approval, but the application must be completed by the, the two-year mark. Um, same labeling, same uh, sample ban uh, will apply for all those. Now, come the second week of August, going forward, uh, all new cigar lines, cigar blends will have to go through this approval process before being introduced into the marketplace, which is one of the bigger aspects of what we're looking at, and especially in terms of what we do here. I mean, that's going to bring to a grinding halt new, new cigar lines coming into the marketplace. You know, we're not going to have new, new, new cigars to talk about every couple of weeks. Um, but I imagine there's going to be a, an insane number of things rushed into the market in the next 90 days uh, leading up to IPCPR. People are going to have to try to get those into retailers' hands by the by the time the 90 days is up. Um, but that's that's roughly what's happening here and, and the big unknown right now is how much it's actually going to cost to go through this application process because there are disclosures for ingredients there there's user fees which i don't believe have been detailed yet i don't know what those fees are uh, there could even be lab work with you know constituent or component 
uh, what was the word I'm looking for here? The product of combustion for for these tobaccos and whatnot. It, it's gonna it's gonna be pretty hairy. Uh, and in fact, that that's the big thing that could end up uh, just taking a lot of companies out of the picture. They're, you know, especially these smaller companies are not going to be able to spend untold thousands to to get a blend approved to keep it in the marketplace. So it could be that a lot of those just decide it's not it's not feasible to even continue with this past the two years and they'll just sell, you know, keep making and selling cigars for two years and then they'll just be gone uh, if they can't can't swing the, the costs of of keeping the, the business operating. It's uh I, I don't know. It's interesting to me that something like this could be revealed <clears throat> without solid details as to what that process is, how much it's going to cost, what time frame it's going to take. The Glenn, Glenn or Glenn Loop, Glenn Glenn, however he really pronounces that, um, he put up a, a a summary yesterday stating that when this was essentially applied to cigarettes. Uh, I don't know the exact numbers. I should have had the quote in front of me, but do not. It was something along the lines of uh, approximately 10% of the products that had been filed to go through this process of approval had actually been approved five years after uh, the deadline was was put into fruition. That's what's crazy to me, that these regulations are out there but then the FDA doesn't have some sort of doesn't seem to have some sort of uh, accountability to turn this around for a a uh, or a, a, within a designated time frame or a predetermined cost. That's that's the craziest thing. It's as if they're going to to front this, but then have absolutely no incentive to do anything about it. Literally, like it—it it truly is a torpedo of the process. Yeah, and they actually put some numbers together that were submitted to uh, OMB, the budget approval uh, folks, and uh, subsequently have said these these numbers may not even be accurate. So we're kind of back to square one. Nobody really knows what it's going to cost until folks like Frank Herrera and whatnot get through all these regulations and see what it really and truly is going to take to comply. Well, Frank put a post up on Facebook yesterday in front of the 499 page formal document stating that he was reading through it, smoking a cigar and reading through it, trying to get to the bottom of it. So it, uh, it'll be interesting what this truly does mean when it's, when it's, digested when it's kind of regurgitated out to the masses um, and when we start seeing uh, start seeing things happen. I mean, it, it's going to happen now. We're not getting out of it. Uh, one potential um, uh, light at the end of the tunnel, notwithstanding, but we should essentially be preparing at this point for this to be the way of the future. It's, uh, yeah. um, it's now a thing. The the uh, the two budget control uh, items that were on the docket or on the floor that we talked about a couple of weeks ago that could, if passed and make it through the process, could force the FDA's hand uh, to allow 
for an exemption for premium cigars under a definition that that is that is in the the literature. Um, that's still out there and that's still on the floor and it's a possibility. However, it's not the first time similar uh, similar things have been out and, and available and just didn't make it through. So I don't, you know, I don't, I don't put a great deal of faith and or hope in the Congress of the United States. Well, <clears throat> there's a couple things here that I wanted to discuss. Um, just from what you were talking about, some of the reactions that I've had or questions that I've had. One of the things that I'm going to uh, be interested to see how it comes into play here is the free sample. Um, uh, I, gosh, what the heck do I want to say? Nixing free samples. Um, it seems to me that most of these events you go to, you're not just walking in um, and having somebody hand you free cigars you're you're buying a ticket you're buying an entry fee you're paying for dinner that comes with the event whatever it might be and so to me that that seems like a, a bit of a hurdle but it seems like a logical way around hey if you come into this thing you have to spend ten dollars it's a ten dollar entry fee and for that entry fee what you receive as part of your welcoming package is this you know, or you're walking in the door and you have to buy a cigar. It's a one cigar minimum, like a one drink minimum. Um, <clears throat> or at IPCPR, your tickets to IPCPR, your membership and tickets to IPCPR include one cigar. Um, you're purchasing one cigar from every booth and those vendors are going to be compensated for those cigars and they're going to be compensated one cent um, per day. Uh, you know, and it's it's just something that essentially becomes legalese. We need to justify it. It's not a free sample because we're paying for it as a as a consumer at that convention. Can we buy a ticket? And that ticket is essentially the ability to get a free, uh, not a free, to get a cigar. That ticket is purchasing cigars for us. What was previously a free sample? I I, I wonder if there are just those loopholes that they can have here you know are we just going to have to get a little more creative or is the trade show done is this the last year for the trade show you know i don't know yeah i think there there are ways to to handle that to manage the sample thing to me the big thing is is what happens with you know what the what the actual costs are for complying with this and what happens to the little guys that that have just come around in these last few years if they're not in a position then to, to to make it cost effective to continue making their cigars, they're just going to be gone. Well, we have one of those uh, little guys. Absolutely no slight intended to you, Terry, but we have one of those little guys in the chat room tonight. Terry Johnson's here. Yeah, when um, I say little guy, I just mean relative to a general cigar or an Altadas. Absolutely. The guy who's not going to be able to just float the bill for, oh, it's 250 grand to put out a new cigar because I need to go through this testing. Sure, I'll write you a check. You know, I, I mean, it, well, maybe maybe Terry can write a check for 250 grand. I guess I don't I don't know your financials, buddy. But, <laughs> um, and if that's the case, can I borrow 10 grand? Um, but I, I just uh, I think that there's going to be a lot of those people who aren't exactly in a position to do that every time as often as they're currently putting out new cigars. 
you know, think of everything that's that's coming from the Pepine umbrella. I mean, there's there's a lot of cigars that have come out from Pepine. Now he's not doing so much anymore. He's uh, had a a bit of a light year, but or light couple years really. But a lot of the things that he's put out have been put out after 2007. I mean, well, thank you. the vast majority of them. Yeah, and think of. I mean, aside from regular production, think of seasonal releases or special short runs and those kind of things that, that certainly won't be feasible. No, and we've talked about that before where, you know, you have, uh, let's say you put out 25,000 cigars and they retail for $10 a piece. Okay, they retail for $10 a piece. They wholesale for $5 a piece. They distribute for $3 a piece. Um, that's not a ridiculous price. So, you as the manufacturer are creating them for two and a quarter a piece, one seventy-five, two bucks a piece, something like that. So two dollars a piece, you're making that. So what is what is your profit on that really? A dollar, let's say, a dollar a cigar, and you're putting out twenty-five thousand cigars. So you have twenty-five thousand dollars profit on that cigar. What's going to happen? Is all of that profit? plus more going to be put into this testing or is that one-off release now going to have to be a $4 manufacturer price to, uh, uh, to distributor. And then that's just going to exponentially go up from there. And a cigar that was previously $10 is going to come to you and now be 25. You know, I, I, are we going to see that or are we going to see the death of the releases? And I happen to think we're, going to see the death of the releases for 95% of the cases here, but I don't know. It's uh, it's just tough. It's tough to see how how all the different, uh, well, all the different folks that are in the article, or that are in the article, that are in the industry are going to react, and, and I'm still unsure whether or not we would be in a better position if they all reacted uniformly, or if they all reacted and kind of scattered um, like cockroaches and did their own thing. You know, I, I don't know if there's a right way uh, to move forward. Should we unify? Does unifying do us anything? I, I honestly haven't, I haven't uh, come to a conclusion one way or another. Yeah. I, I don't know what the answer is. Uh, you know, it, if you're making those little, especially those little runs where you're 25,000 in, in your example, is it for the entire run? You're certainly not going to spend a hundred thousand to get approval to make twenty five. Not if you have any sense, anyway. No, I, I mean it. You know, and and is it a hundred thousand? Is it five thousand? You know, I mean, you're right. We don't know. I mean, I highly doubt it's five thousand. I bet it's probably somewhere over fifty. I, yeah. I, I But uh, still, fifty thousand. That's that's just an incredible amount, man. Yeah, I don't know. I um, and the these blends. There was some language written into the regulation that allows for um <laughs> this gray area of changes to a blend to maintain consistency. But if you change a blend, it's it's a new cigar. It doesn't matter what you call it. You're going to have to go through the approval process and, and, you know, where that line is on what is variations from year to year and what is deemed a new blend. 
is it's going to become important at some point because you, you would have to either go through the approval process or prove that this is substantially the same same cigar and same blend. I don't know. I don't even know if the FDA has thought that through. I mean, chances are they haven't because chances are they're not intimately familiar with the the uh, manufacture process of premium cigars, but you know, I don't know. I, I mean, I also have, have questions that are broader than this. Do we have, do we have uh, a leg to stand on with future administrations that something could happen that uh, not necessarily defunding this, but could something happen where uh, if a, future politician takes office, is there something that they can do to essentially change this, withdraw this power? Is this an executive branch uh, perk? I don't know who really governs the FDA. I don't suppose I do either. You know, I don't, I don't know if it, uh, are, are they kind of a subset their own, their well, own uh, thing? The the head of the FDA is brought in through the executive branch, but how much control is available and how much is exercised, I don't know. I mean, there's definitely agendas where <clears throat> the president has some uh, influence over over that uh, agency. Hmm. But as far as just saying, well, we're gonna take take back this regulation. It's possible. It's happened before, but or at least it's happened with occupational safety. OSHA's had regulations just pulled back, although it's very rare and and does not happen very often. You know, uh, Harry Johnson just put something in the chat room that's it's interesting. Um, I want to hear what his perspective is on what he asked, but uh, his comment is. Uh, that it's going to be interesting to see how uh, the FDA treats Cuba in this ruling uh, because that that is coming eventually that's going to uh, eventually that's going to come down the pipe so if Cuba now becomes still as a communist nation if Cuba now becomes uh, a legal trade partner for the United States um is that something where you're going to have people fighting for the trademark um, authority stating that X cigar came out prior to 2007? Or is that something where the Cuban government is going to say, get bent, we're not going to pay for this testing to be sold there. And so it's technically not illegal for us to have Cuban cigars at some point in the future. It's technically not um, uh, illegal for us to have Cuban product or uh, Cuban cigars, but Cuba is not legally able to sell them in the United States. So the American government, the Food and Drug Administration, could potentially sue the Cuban government for not going through that testing. You know, I, I don't know how, no, how the just... Cuban government... I don't know how they could be held liable to do this if the, the if, Americans if... are able to procure those who's to say that we couldn't procure them over the internet through foreign vendors right and where the transaction takes place is what the government's going to 
set their sights on. It's, uh, but, it, it, to bring them into the country, to import them on, on a you know, production scale, they're going to have to comply with these requirements. And if it's not feasible to do that economically, they're just going to pass. I mean, they're not going to not still just like anybody else. They're not going to pay a hundred thousand dollars to make 25. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt about that. Um, I don't, I don't think there's a leg to stand on for a suit, a lawsuit, like you mentioned, because the, you know, Habano says, Asia says, well, we're not important. I mean, the U S you guys can just bugger off. <laughs> it's not worth our trouble and money. We're selling all of our cigars already in the rest of the world. If you guys want to make it too hard for us to sell them there, then so be it. We'll just keep selling them everywhere else. But the idea comes in that they know. I mean, right now, there's an estimate that Cuba sells uh, 15 to 25 million cigars a year in the United States. I think that's the amount. The estimate is 15 to 25 million are already coming into the United States. And those are obviously illegally brought in, but who's to say right. that that wouldn't double or triple? The illegality. The, the illegality falls on the people doing the buy-in, not on Habanos SA. They're not importing and distributing them. They sell them elsewhere. If the retailer wants to sell them to somebody in the U.S., that's that's on the consumer, ultimately, I think, as far as the U.S. federal government's concerned. But then it wouldn't be. If in, let's just say in 2020, if the embargo's gone and it's legal to... Uh, acquire Cuban goods as an American citizen from third-party uh, sources, not it just being brought back. It won't be legal. It, it it could be legal from a standpoint that there's no embargo, but it won't be legal because you're buying goods that have not been approved. But how is the legislation set up right now? Is the legislation set up – I'm sorry. How is the regulation set up? Is it set up as legislation saying that a – a consumer cannot acquire that product or is it set up as a manufacturer must go through this testing in order to be brought to market here? It's set it's up so set that up the, the person importing them into the States is probably who has the onus there, which would be an importer or a distributor or whoever's bringing them in right now to do that legally. They're going to have to be, have to be uh, on the approved list. And there would be no distributor or importer in the scenario you're talking about. Right, but that's that's why I bring up the fact that, let's just say 20 million, the average between those two estimates, there's 20 million cigars a year that already illegally arrive in this country from Cuba, third hand from Cuba, or second hand, excuse me. So if that continues, Cuba isn't doing anything wrong because they're not distributing in the United States. The consumers, based on how the, the regulation is written now, it's not written as legislation. A consumer could acquire that product because it's not written that a consumer cannot have that. The regulation is written that a manufacturer cannot distribute and sell in the United States. But if the manufacturer has absolutely no control over how it gets in the United States, how could they be held liable for it being here? And that's what I'm saying. The consumer is still trafficking goods that are not legal but uh, how are you trafficking it when there's no law preventing it that that's what i'm saying we have no law saying you cannot have this until it goes through this testing 
we have a law, we have a regulation right now that says you cannot sell here without that testing. Mm-hmm. But they're not but, sold there, is what you're saying. What if what if nothing changes and everybody who has um, uh, a a boutique cigar right now stops distributing within the United States and we sell on websites? If you sell on websites, <clears throat> that product could still be available in the United States. It would be legal based that, on how everything is written now. That distributor would have to remove all their business presence from the U.S., Oh, it completely screws American distributors and American brick and mortars, but the American consumer has a way around. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm saying. There's, there has to be more that's growing here. There has to be more that's, that's going to come out from this. It's not done blooming. Right now, there's nothing in that I've heard or seen there's nothing in this regulation that is a direct correlation between a consumer procuring a product. So what is that next step? Is that, was that purposely left as a loophole? Who knows? Who knows? Maybe that's not even within the FDA's regulation to be able to put that legislation out there. Yeah, I, would that, tend to that, think it's I guess would become a borders and customs issue. I don't know. It's just there's so many questions in this, so many reactions that I have. I mean, I, you know, on, on the short term, over the next two years, I had a conversation today with a, a guy who, who builds custom stairways for me. Um, we, I bet we can expect to see some unbelievable blowouts in a year or two. People liquidating, getting out of the industry. I don't want to deal with it. I can't do this. So I'm just going to sell everything that I have on market right now. Boom. And then we're also going to see some incredibly inflated pricing when people say, I'm going to try to make a go at it. This is the only business I've ever known. I'm going to try to support my family. And all of a sudden, their cigars are $14, $15, $18 a piece when they were previously $4, 6 $8 a piece. You know, that, that yeah. could be a, a very big reality. And we're going to have this instability for the next two years with some unbelievable deals to be had. And if you can... Strike when the when the fire is hot. As a consumer, you might do pretty darn well. And if you can stock up, maybe you can get through the next five, ten years when we're a little rocky, uh, and wait till the industry stabilizes, and perhaps we have another um, another uh, uh, administration in power that's a little bit more pro cigar. But <laughs> no pun intended. Um, there's just so much that we as consumers should be thinking about and planning ahead on. Yeah. Uh, Exactly. I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, it's just very interesting. I have so many random pinball type thoughts in my head about this that I, I don't think there's any way that we really can pinpoint it right now. And if the prices are so wildly inflated in the U.S., is the manufacturer going to pass that? Increase along to the rest of the world. Is he going to, or is he going to sell a twenty-five dollar cigar in the states and he sells it for seven dollars in Europe or, or not Europe? They're taxed out the wazoo too, but uh, somewhere else he sells it for half price or less. And then you have American-based consumers buying from overseas to evade the taxes, which is what happened. 
people in Canada or wherever that do this, do similar things. And sometimes they come through, sometimes they don't. Well, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. I, it, it's just so thought provoking to me. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll change gears a little bit on you just slightly. Did you see the joint release between IPCPR um, and CRA yesterday? I did. Oh, you did. I did not. I was. I'm putting well, on. The I, I I got two emails from IPCPR and uh, one from CRA. I'm, I'm not sure which one of those you're talking about. Um. Uh, CRA came out with uh, in one of CRA's emails. They stated that there would be a joint press release between IPCPR and CRA at some point yesterday evening. And I did not get a, an email with that press release in it. I'd have to look. Hang on. Mm. I, I think that the first email is the only one I have. I, I believe that's the case with me too, but um, I, I don't know. I'm uh I was a little bit more, I don't want to say positive, but maybe I was a little less negative on this initially. Um, and then as things matured a little yesterday and I had more conversations, I got a little more scared. I, I gotta, I gotta tell you, I'm, I'm scared with the direction we're heading. Um, I was trying to be a little more positive and think about the, the potentials and, you know, that the new industry doesn't necessarily have to be bad for the consumer. It's going to be bad for a lot of manufacturers, but um, like anything, we'll come out of it. You know, hell, we had prohibition for a time. Um, you couldn't smoke cigars in, in Britain early in the 20th century. I mean, we we see um, uh, hardships and then we progress through them. Eventually, we'll get through this and the industry will be positive or as positive as it can be at that point. And, and I look forward to that time. Um, I was looking forward to that time, but now I'm, uh, I'm a little less sure as to how positive it will be and in how long or how palatable those positives, uh, will be. It's, it's just, it's, um, it's frightening really. I agree. And so somebody in the, <clears throat> in the chat room said, I didn't think, Kip doesn't really care because he lives in the DR now. But my response is if this puts all these little Dominican cigar makers out of business living in the DR, it doesn't mean no good whatsoever. That's a good point. That's a really good point, unfortunately. You know, there. I, I know it's not the, uh, the American government's job to look out for the small business owner in Central America or the Caribbean, but um, there's a lot of people's lives who are going to be really negatively impacted by this, and there are not a lot of people who can who, between, who have the ability to. Between the Dominican Republic, Nicaragua, Honduras, the the major the Caribbean basin, uh, the estimate I saw was 300,000 jobs rely on cigars, tobacco anyway. Not all are premium cigars. So. It's a little shocking because it's not as if those countries, the the people making these cigars in those countries were well off to begin with. 
and now we're we're essentially uh, closing the door on their ability to, or a large portion of their ability to provide for their family. Um, I don't know. You take away the shred of of decency and purpose and ability to uh, use their craft to provide for themselves, and you get a lot of unhappy people who who can cause a lot of strife in that region. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, here, uh, the unemployment rate, depending on how you gauge it, is 20 to 25% already. I don't know what's going to happen when you take you know, tens of thousands of jobs out of that equation further. Hmm. <sighs> well, I don't know if we can come back to the FDA if you have other thoughts uh, or not, but Shall we take a minor break and talk about our Cigar of the Week? Yeah, let's do that. What are you thinking at the moment? I'm I'm thinking that this thing is burning incredibly slowly. Yeah, I uh, oh, I lit this thing at a little after 8.30, and it's 10.44, and I, it's still going. I got maybe an inch and a quarter left. Well, I... I lit it at about 8.30 central time, and it's 9.45, and I have three inches left. Yeah, so I, I mean, over two, I, over two hours on a Robusto is pretty good for me. Yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm enjoying the, uh, the flavors I'm getting now more than I was in the first third. You mentioned that the example you've got was slightly muted, um, and I, I just don't think I have experienced that. Mine has been um, as flavorful as I would like it to be. Um, I won't say it's bursting with flavor, but it certainly is not anything that would have made me think that it was uh, it was lacking in that department. Um, I'm getting a little bit more of like a chocolatey flavor, a sweet chocolatey, maybe a milk chocolatey uh, flavor to go along with that kind of sugary sweetness and minor peanut flavor, uh, ancillary peanut flavor. It's very good. Um, it's, it's definitely having or exhibiting some characteristics of a Maduro. I'm, Uh, I I get a lot of chocolate and and yeah, with San Andres when it's done properly. This doesn't look like a San Andres. It's not overly, no, it doesn't at all. It's at all. No, none whatsoever. Mine's very smooth. Hmm. Um. Yeah, I will. I will def- definitely emphasize that chocolate, and it's unlike a lot of cigars where you talk about cocoa and coffee flavors. This is a different. This is chocolate. This is not cocoa. This is definitely a, a sweeter, chocolatey flavor. Milk chocolate versus dark chocolate. Very much so. I. I. I I like this chocolate flavor. It's a very good cigar. Um, I was going to come up with one other item to discuss here. What in the world was it? Uh, I don't know. Uh, why don't you share any of your thoughts? I've kind of bogarted this. Yeah, the um, <clears throat> sweetness that was so prevalent early on has mostly gone away from me, and, it, and it's definitely much more in the realm of those nutty kind of flavors. Don't know that I go peanut specifically. I think you mentioned that, but it but it is nutty-ish, for lack of a better word. For lack of any word, I suppose that's not even a word. Um, the 
burn and construction is still just continue to be perfect. I uh, really enjoyed the flavors when I first lit it and I first got that little bit of vegetal kind of temperament to it. I, I thought this tastes like an AJ Fernandez cigar, but I think I've abandoned that altogether. It's, it's much sweeter than I think of for anything that I get with his name attached to it. I'm sitting here kind of clueless. I mean, it, it tastes like it has a, still has a good deal of um, the more uh, or, or more mild Nicaraguan tobacco, but at the same time, it it's, tastes almost Dominican. It tastes Dominican. Doesn't feel or look Dominican. <laughs> I know that's stupid, but that's what that's what my perception is. Uh, the other item I was going to talk about was that this cigar initially. It reminded me of a Fuente product, a Fuente manufactured product. And uh, um, and Fuente, for those of you who, who connotate um, Fuente to the Dominican Republic, they have a huge propensity to use Nicaraguan uh, tobacco in their blend. So they, the they comment do. I made earlier, pardon me? They do, and at times in the past, this is not the case today, but years ago in past, they were the biggest consumer of Nicaraguan tobacco on the planet for a long time. Um, uh, what was I going to say? <clears throat> oh, uh, once I was, I guess, past probably the first quarter inch or so, I got away from that thought that this reminded me of a Fuente cigar. Um, but as I'm, as I'm entering this final third, it's coming back in. I, I'm wondering if maybe there's a, uh, uh, there's the potential for a, a Newman product. Is there a, a lesser Newman product or perhaps a, I don't think I'd say a bundled Newman product. Um, although this is incredibly flaky ash and it's not really holding on. I think that it's long filler. Um, is there a, a, another product that perhaps could be manufactured by the Fuentes that would be in the value designation well, that we're thinking about here? Newman has their own factory in Nicaragua now that makes premium cigars in addition to their machine-made stuff in Tampa. Well, there you go. It doesn't remind me of a brick house or anything that I'm familiar with from them, though. I was wondering if it was an El Baton. Isn't that a Newman product? It is, El Baton. Baton. But, I don't know, and I believe they have a Maduro version of that. Um I believe they do, but you know, I'm not. Uh, I'm not ready to say that that's really the direction I'm heading. That oh, I think that's what this is. But they're just because I don't have a lot of experience with that cigar. But there's just something. You know, we we talk about kind of that new school Estelian flavor that Papin and Pete Johnson really championed in the the middle aughts, early to mid aughts, um, where something just feels Papin or. You know, uh, we've talked a lot because of your propensity to enjoy these cigars on what the feel of a Casa Fernandez cigar is and what Agonorsa tobacco feels like. This just feels like it's got something about Fuente written on it, um, at least at this point. To, to come into vogue twice along the length of a Robusto to make me think that, it's just something, you know, yeah, something to consider it becomes increasingly difficult to even guess a country of origin with these cigars since they're so 
widely varying in where the tobacco comes from. Rather, you know, just where it was rolled doesn't seem to play that much a part anymore because everybody's using tobacco from all over the planet. Yeah. It's a small world. See? Yeah, it says a man in Chicago speaking instantaneously to a man in the Dominican Republic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see, what else we got on here now that we may have sufficiently beaten the FDA horse into the ground? Oh, no, that horse has not been beaten enough. <laughs> that's, a, that's a bad, bad horse. It needs to be beaten more. <laughs> okay. Uh any more beaten tonight? I think that horse needs to be beaten on a daily basis. Hmm. Can I just tell you the? Uh, I just put the cigar down. I'm feeling it now. A couple minutes after putting it down, not you know woozy or anything like that, but I'm definitely feeling the the effect of the cigar, which is a little stronger than I thought it was. Wow. Mm. I think I just said that I had not gotten anything in my mouth from uh, this cigar yet, but I just got a big old sharp piece of tobacco in it. Sorry about that. Um, Oh, no, I completely agree with you. This is not the best combination with the Zaya whatsoever. They tend to clash a little bit, um, which is interesting to me. I would have thought that the, the milk chocolate of the cigar and the vanilla of the rum would have worked well together, but they don't. They they tend to be uh, a little less of a harmonious pa- uh, pairing than I would have hoped. Um, but I'm still reaching for the rum because of the sugar in the rum. It's it's something that just I oh man I can feel I need that, and so I'm going for it every once in a while. So I uh, I 100% agree with you. Yeah. I have no sugar. Well, you have a house with sugar. Uh huh. You have a house with sugar. Uh, yeah. No, no, it's not that bad. I'm just mm. noticing the effect. Como? That's what all the uh, Dominican folks say to me when I say something stupid in Spanish. Como? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, shall we talk about uh, Camacho Reloaded? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Although that that joke is lost on everybody who doesn't know what this next story is. Yeah, yeah. Well, why don't you enlighten us? Okie doke. Uh, we actually, uh, we maybe mentioned this on the show several weeks ago that it had come up in social media and popped around, but it's just one little aspect of this story. Um, the story specifically is about Taranio and a couple of years ago, if you may remember, General bought Toronto, which came as a surprise to nearly everybody within the Toronto organization. Um, and they, and it's for the most part, it's just been business as usual for the past couple of years. So you haven't really uh, done a lot with the line since since taking control of it uh, until now. They are uh, launching four new additions to the the vault. Uh, series, the vault line, uh, which is an existing line, but uh, General is completely revamping the the packaging in particular and putting out some, you know, these four new lines, these four new cigars. Uh, The packaging itself is radically different from anything Taranio's got out there. Uh, It's very brightly colored, 
they wanted it to kind of stand out on the shelf uh, according to the press release, and, and it certainly will. It's, it, the, the boxes are bright purple and yellow and this ochre kind of orange color and turquoise. Um, and some of the design and, and even a little bit of the coloration um, largely the design, though, raised some eyebrows because it's very similar to some of the the new Camacho packaging, which is the origin of Craig's little joke there a minute ago. Um, and when it when the picture started leaking out of this, the some of the folks on social media made quite a few quips and jokes about it and how closely it matched or was similar to Camacho's packaging, but totally a side side issue. Um, of the four lines, each of the four lines is going to uh, come in two sizes, a 5x50 Robusto and a 6x60 Gordo, uh, and very affordably priced at 550 and 650 US. Um, and then I noticed there was a note in the uh, press release that actually it's going to have a better margin than is typical for for the, the industry, which was kind of a surprise when at retail, that, that's a pretty low price point to have more margin than, than would normally be the case. But uh, two of the lines, the P44, which is yellow, and the TM27, which is purple, those two lines are going to be strictly for brick and mortar shops, uh, with the yellow being a Nicaraguan puro uh, with sun grown wrapper and jalapen fillers. Uh, the purple, the TM27, is going to have a Mexican San Andres wrapper, a Nicaraguan binder, Nicaraguan filler, and with some broadleaf also in the filler, although it doesn't specify an origin uh, in the uh, for the broadleaf. Um, I don't even want to make an assumption. It doesn't say Connecticut specifically. Um, and then for e-tailers and mail order operations and those kind of folks, are going to be two other uh, blends coming out and then c33 is the one i said it's kind of ochre or orangish it's kind of a really dark yellow it's not as bright as the other one uh, it's going to have a mexican san andres oscuro wrapper uh, a cameroon binder and similar or the same broadleaf and nicaraguan filler blend um, and then finally the l75 which is the turquoise colored box going to have a Nicaraguan wrapper, Ecuadorian Sumatra binder, and the fillers, this one does say Connecticut, and Dominican and Nicaraguan. So kind of a, uh, I guess, coming out of dormancy. I don't, I don't want to say dormancy. Of course, they've been making them and selling them for the last two years, but something new from them, a little, uh, little bit of injection of energy into the brand that, that maybe is kind of sat still for a while and uh, maybe trying to revive that a little bit. I got to tell you, I wasn't listening to you because I have absolutely no interest in hearing about the new Tarano. <laughs> you know, I am for the most part in the last several years, I'm right there with you. But when they put out the, uh, the Tarano master, I think it was, I love that cigar. That was such a good cigar, and it just never really seemed to get traction in my local market anyway in Tampa. And I didn't see anybody ever walking out of a shop with those things, um, but I really liked them. And, and that's never been a great deal of Toronto cigars where I would have said, oh, man, you got to try this. It's fantastic. But that one I really liked. 
I was a big Toronto guy for a few years. I mean, I loved the Toronto tributes in 2002, 2003. They, uh, I think those were the ones that were different blends each year. Um, there was a green Toronto, 1906 something, 1916. 1916. That was the year the the Toronto family left Spain for Cuba. It was that's a fantastic cigar. I used to love those. Love those. I went through those things like they were going out of style. I, so I, I certainly don't dislike uh, the Toronto cigars, the Toronto brand from back in the day. I just I. I I have no desire to support that brand anymore. There's enough other good cigars that I would want to reach for. Now, these are these are appropriately priced. I don't have anything against them. I just have no desire to support the brand. I have no desire to, to support, well, quite frankly, I have no desire to support a lot of the, the cigars that are coming out of General and Altidus. It's not that I don't find those cigars to be good, but I don't smoke a cigar a day. I don't smoke five cigars a day. So I don't, uh, I guess I just kind of pick and choose what cigars I want to involve uh, myself with. I want to take up my time. And I think I'm, I, I really kind of feel done with Taranio. I mean, I just, you know, nothing wrong with it. It's just I'm kind of, if I never look back, I wouldn't have an issue. You're playing the part of me tonight. Get off my lawn. <laughs> Get off my property! <laughs> Get out of my humidor! <laughs> uh, my dad is that guy. <laughs> I'm that guy most half the time. Yeah, you are that guy. That's true. It, it just happens. You you'll be as old as me someday. <laughs> <laughs> I will. That is true. <laughs> what else we got here? Oh, got a little bit of Camacho news. Um, didn't we just do that? <laughs> oh, they have two jokes one night. I know, I know. Well, that's one joke, really. You, you funny guy. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> uh, this is kind of <sighs> keeping in line with their, uh, I guess, new image, for lack of a better word, when they change their packaging and, and how they uh, present their brand. Uh, they uh, had more of this horsepower kind of feel to many of them um, and new knew everything really they they've completely revamped that company and according to davidoff's uh, numbers they released it's paying off the camacho was up like 35 percent this year over last which is yeah yeah amazing i have not contributed anything to that i don't think i've smoked a camacho except the unbanded that was sent in a few months ago but um, anywho they uh they've announced another new line they have coming up a new line called the power band series uh, which is interesting in a couple of things from a marketing standpoint uh, from motorcycles and whatnot. And, you know, there's, there's some, some details about the, uh, the cigar itself. It's going to have a Bono 2000 wrapper over San Andres Negrito binder and five different filler tobaccos from Nicaragua, Honduras, and Dominican, uh, three countries, five tobaccos. Um, what else we got about the cigar? Is it going to have a Robusto, 5x50 Robusto, a 6x50 Toro, and a 6x60 Gordo, which seems to have be becoming the default these days for a new product launch. Um, going to range from 11 to $13 a stick, which is which is kind of a bold move from Camacho, but 
and I guess what they've been doing is working. But but the thing that caught, caught that my eye. What's that? A bold move from Camacho. <laughs> no, but it works, so I'll stick with it. <laughs> it wasn't an intentional. Um, the thing that caught my eye when I was reading through the, the press information they sent out was they uh, whether this is real perceived marketing I, I don't know but it, it was neat they uh, have they're trying out a new bunching process which they're calling their power band bunching <laughs> process um, which combines a typical accordion style bunch and a traditional kind of uh, intubato uh, where the leaves are individually tubed uh, rolled into tubes um, during the bunching process and they they claim that uh, this this new process maximizes airflow for peak performance uh, you know whether that's just something to put into the marketing scheme with the motorcycles and the, the engines and all I don't know but I'm intrigued enough to give them a whirl at some point uh, <laughs> I can't yeah. imagine based on the picture that Ian put on the forum this week I can't imagine what they'll cost in Montana at like $26 Camachos already. I don't know what these 11 or 13 suggested retail price will end up being in Montana. But holy cow. It's just the marketing machine. They're trying to, uh, to put something together. That's just a perfect description. So Fram or uh, <laughs> K&N will buy them out. <laughs> Fram. It's filtered cigars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no resistance. <laughs> resistance is futile. <laughs> uh, we're such dorks. <laughs> yeah, we are. You want to know how big of a dork I am? <laughs> Absolutely. So we uh, uh, we read stories to Luke at night, and we often will sing songs to Liam at night uh, before they go to bed. The the song that Liam now always wants me to sing, mm-hmm. the Imperial March. <laughs> sing? Well, hum. <laughs> uh, that's that's how big of a dork I am. I have officially passed that on. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Well, you know, I'm not a dark side guy, so I mean, there's a little <laughs> wrong with it. Yeah. Come to the dark side. We have cookies. We have cookies. Uh, well, we did have one more minor story in there. I think we're going to skip that. It's it, it was minor, and we're kind of pushing the time limit at this point. But uh did want to throw in a happy birthday to Carlos Fuente Sr., who turned 81 years of age today. 81. 81. I have, uh, I think, a couple. Yeah, I have a couple of his 75th and 76th. Birthday cigars. I may pull those out tomorrow. I should have got one today, but I didn't. I am dreadfully low on Fuente products as a whole. Oh, my I was, goodness. I know. I was drooling over the uh, the Maduro short story you were talking about earlier that we will, well, that you were talking about earlier in the week and that you will talk about later in the show. I I forgot how much I geeked out about Maduro Hemingways for a while. Yeah. The Sun Grown is like Maduro and steroids in that line. I, I really like the Sun Grown. <clears throat> what did I? I I don't remember. I you sent me. Uh, 
Oh, oh, Rosado. That's what it was. Rosado Hemingways that I oh, just yeah. thought were fantastic. Yeah, good luck ever getting those. Yeah, no. I, I think they they people, I think. they only ship those if I'm remembering right, like one time, no more than two times that they landed in the market. Um, 2009 seems like. I like. Well, I'm them. fairly fairly certain you sent me two Hemingway classics. Yeah, I believe. <clears throat> yep. And uh, well, I vividly remember when I smoked both of those. They were that good. <laughs> you know what? I have fewer Fuente cigars in my possession right now than I probably ever have since I started smoking Fuente cigars. And yet, you are closer to more Fuente cigars than you've probably ever been in your life. They are insanely expensive here. I believe it. it Everybody knows them, you know. And the, the tax situation is unfavorable for bringing them out of the Sona Francas. Yeah. I mean, the the dang Opus I see on the shelf at the shop are like 35 bucks a stick. And those <laughs> are 12 or 14 in Tampa. Dang. It's like you're shopping in Chicago. Yeah. I mean, the first time I ever came down here in the airport, there was a cigar shop. And it was, you know, 50-something dollars per cigar for Opus. And I thought it was just an airport thing, but then I get into the country and there, no, it's, it's kind of expensive no matter what it is. Yeah. No, thank you. And oh man, $50 to, I, I think I'd rather flog myself. Yeah. I mean, if you buy a box of them, you could buy an airplane ticket and fly to Tampa, buy a box and come back out cheaper. <laughs> I guess so. Man, oh, man. Well, you want to talk a little bit about what we've smoked? We've already uh, alluded to it a touch. Yeah. Uh, well, since we already mentioned it, the Maduro short story. Um, I had one Maduro short story in the humidor, and it actually was a CFC cigar. It, it was one of the very first few Maduro short stories ever made uh, that they were pulled out and handed out as CFC 2011, I think. Um, and it, it was very good, good as I remember. But the fact that it was one of the first few was nothing but a mind game. The fact that it was, you know, 10 years old, nothing but a mind. It, it was, I can't say that it was magically improved over what you may just pick up off the shelf today, to be honest. It was very good. I'm not complaining about the cigar. I'm just saying, I don't know that 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 is a cigar to hang on to for 10 years and smoke. It's as good day one as it is later. I mean, it, it, it was definitely had lost a step in terms of how bold the flavor is. And, and those are not particularly bold cigars to start with, but very muted and subdued. It, it had that typical Maduro Hemingway kind of sweetness to it, but, but not cloying it, it, just a touch of sweetness, very little to no spice. It, it, it was a good cigar, but, if I had bought a box of those and looked at them for 10 years and not touched them, I probably would have been disappointed. Hmm. I, I'm only disappointed because I could have been smoking them all along and gotten the same experience. No, I, I totally knew exactly what you were saying there. I, I have boxes of cigars in my humidor that I haven't opened and that I just, I, I, I so struggle with, should I open that or should I not? I bought it with the intention of holding on to it for a while, but 
but but what if what if yesterday was the peak day and every day since or coming up will be a loss what what if yep it's uh one of those struggles yeah mm. what about you what do you got on your list well it's one of those struggles that won out for me this week i uh, or may have actually been last week but uh well, um, every day special. Every day, uh, every day deserves to be treated with respect, and you know what? Every day is is worthy of breaking a box, like uh, number eight hundred out of twenty five hundred, I believe, eight hundred out of two thousand uh, of the My Father Limited Edition inaugural release in two thousand and ten. I broke my box. Uh, in the last few days, um, finally smoked this, uh, this bad boy from Pepin and Jaime. And, you know, I knew exactly what I'd get. I knew that it was going to be Pepin on steroids, lots of spice, a little bit of sweetness, impeccably constructed, beautiful looking cigar. Um, and it, it didn't surprise me at all. It was all of those things. And, uh, I think the way that I can sum it up is, I'm not the biggest lover of spicy, bold Nicaraguan flavors. So does anybody want to buy a box of nine of the 2010 Pepin limited editions? Cause <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't know. I, uh, it's an okay cigar, but I just don't know if it's got legs to stand up to where it's going to eventually blossom into something that's beautiful. I don't know if it's, uh, I know it is not at all past its prime. This was a cigar that was strong, rich, complex. Um, there's a lot going on. It's just a lot of those things that were going on were, it was similar to something from Aganorsa or Casa Fernandez. Excuse me. Uh, there's a ton there. It's just not a ton that I prefer, you know, and uh, it, quite frankly, this is, this was one of the more full cigars that I've had, in a while, um, full flavored, uh, full strength. Holy crap. This was a strong cigar for me, but you know, I, uh, not my cup of tea. That, um, those came out in two, 2010. They hit the market in 2010. Yeah. I bought my box, I believe in August. So there's every chance that could have actually had Akinorsa tobacco. Cause that's about the time they parted ways. Uh, it could very well be. Just a thought. What else we got here? I got a... Uh, actually, I've had quite a number of these because they're very uh, affordably priced. The uh, La Galera, Connecticut, uh, Corona Gorda this week. And <clears throat> this is the company, I think, actually the company name is Indian Head Cigars, something like that. It's the company that... Hochi Blanco bought uh, last fall, last winter, November, December of this past year, and uh, has put out a couple of uh, cigars under that marca. And uh, it had the, this this line comes with two different wrappers, an Abano and a Connecticut. And you know, I've I have gone back and forth. I don't know how many times with this. I, I really enjoy both of them, and. I don't know that I can say which one I like better. I, I like them both for different reasons. But this La Galera Connecticut 
does have some of that crispness that you get from Connecticut. That it, some of that sharpness, that, those kinds of flavors that are just just skirt that edge of being a little bit brash, but don't really cross over it. The kind of thing that a lot of people don't like about Connecticut. Um, but I happen to enjoy them. But if you're that guy that that just doesn't care for that, that what you get from a Connecticut wrap, you're probably not not going to like this. You're probably going to want to try the the Bono if you're buying Lagalera. But I like them. They're they're clean on the palate. They're non-polluting uh, and, and enjoyable flavors for me. If you like that that sharpness, but uh, affordably priced, they run you know four bucks, four fifty, something like that uh, for the Corona Gorda. I think they're good. I like it. You do like those cigars. You've talked an awful lot about those in the last month. I do. Um, I like them a lot, actually. And depending on what day of the week is, I like <laughs> the Habano or Connecticut. You okay? Excuse me? <laughs> lose your composure there? <laughs> no, I, uh, oh, I hiccuped when I was drinking rum. Oh. oh, that gets a little rough. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, you know what the cure for that is? Don't drink rum. No, more rum. Oh. <laughs> ah, makes it not hurt so much. Well, um, I was actually going to open with this cigar, but since we discussed uh, the idea of <clears throat> boxes that perhaps uh, you struggle with whether or not you want to hold on to them or or let them sit for a little longer. Um, I decided to talk about that, uh, my father limited edition, but <clears throat> what was, what probably made the biggest impression on me since the last show were two cigars that uh, I had, which were shared by Zedman, uh, our, one of our loyal listeners in Canada. Hey, they, these are the Las Cogita. Um, custom rolls or master rolled cigars. I don't know what La Escogida is. I don't know if that's a person with a name or a person or a location, but they're fantastic. The, the word means chosen or selected. <clears throat> well, I don't know much about these. I know that that um, Zedman loves them. He has talked about them uh, sufficiently on our uh, forum. I I got uh, two of them in a recent trade with him, and I adore them. They're nice, sugary, sweet. They're not overly bold. They're not strong. Um, they're quick burners, but enjoyable. I had them in two sizes. One, I'd say, was a Toro. The other, I'd say, was probably closer to a Lonsdale or a Corona Grande. They were fantastic, both of them. Um, had a buttery flavor to them, a little bit of like a sweet uh, nut brittle, where there's that just slight bit of maybe uh, it bordering on kind of a burny caramel flavor wrapped up with that nutty, fatty sweetness. Really great cigars. Really great cigars. I don't know where he gets them specifically. Uh, if they're from a La Casa or <clears throat> if he just knows somebody on the street who, who rolls these when he's in Havana or in this case when his wife was in Havana. Um, no, I think these are actually from his trip last time he went. Um, boy, I can't thank you enough, Adam. Man, you rock. These were these were great. I had both cigars two nights in a row. 
did not expect to do that, but uh, they were terrific. A, a must-have for me again. They're really, really good. So now you got to take a trip to Cuba. Soon enough. <laughs> a person-to-person cultural exchange. Yeah, well, whatever we got to call it, man. <clears throat> <laughs> the only thing I had on the list actually don't even need to have on the list because I talked about it two weeks ago in our last show. But I've been smoking a lot of these. The juked. As you can see, the bundles are wrapped in juked. The bands on the cigars are juked. And I'm digging a crap out of them. And I'm hating the fact that it's such a tiny run. There's only a thousand of these things out there. And if I could get them regularly, I could almost fully convert to having these all the time. Because that's what I've been doing just about for the past two weeks. I haven't smoked many other things besides these cigars, which is why I burned through so many of them so quickly. (laughs) But I have a fresh supply. Maybe from this bundle, I can uh, save a couple and send you when we come to the States. (laughs) I doubt it. Yeah, me too, but I'm saying that. Just in case. Just in case. Well, we'll see. I'll I'll hold my breath. How's that? You may not want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you got any final notes about this here cigar before we open her up? Yeah, I, uh, I think I do. It was, it was a cigar that that progressed through the first third, well into the second third, and uh, showed some really great highlights in the final third. And then I'm at maybe an inch and a half left, two fingers. And it's it's getting close to saying put me down. Um, really, really good, really, really good cigar. I mean, I have to say it's a it's a really good cigar. I gotta imagine that this thing's not over the five dollar per stick price. And uh, <clears throat> assuming that to be true, this is a great buy. Um, you know, I, I said it again. When I'm in the market to buy cigars, I really should just give my hundred dollars or two hundred dollars, whatever it is, to Dan. I'm probably gonna get uh, a better or a good cigar for a better price than otherwise. So, really, really good. Yeah, I actually enjoyed it quite a bit too. I think we've already talked quite a quite a fair amount of time about the, the flavors and even the construction. Mine did get a little bit hot near the end, and I smoked it down to about an inch before I laid it down. Uh, definitely ended strong. Uh, although I do have to say the feeling has passed. I don't not feeling the effect anymore. It was pretty short lived, so apparently I put it down just at the the perfect time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I dig it. I'm in the same boat as you. I I liked it and would not hesitate to have these around. And I have, check it out, DC, it's your handwriting, your tape. <laughs> really? I have one, too. Oh, oh, yeah? I have two of these. I have number one and number two. As do I. Oh. Look at that. Let's see if you played a trick on us. Yeah, let's see if we have different cigars. <laughs> That'd be pretty funny, considering they, the descriptions were awful similar. You know, DC played a trick on us the last time. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh wow i've not had one of these in a bunch of years and would never have picked up on that because this is not a brand that i reach for for many of the reasons you talked about with Toronto. 
Yeah, same. It looks Perdomo. like he didn't play a trick on us. No. I, I'm blown away. Yeah, it is a broadleaf, Connecticut, uh, Connecticut broadleaf wrapper. Uh, the binder and filler from Lot 23 in Nicaragua, which is uh, Perdomo for those not on the video because we didn't say it's a Perdomo Lot 23. Um, the Lot 23 line utilizes all of its tobaccos from one small tobacco field in Nicaragua. At least that's the story. That's what DC put on the Yeah, mine too. Mine too. So robusto. And I can remember the exact moment that I last had one of these. It was at a very small little shop, a part of a chain in central Florida called Tobacco Depot. And I did not enjoy it like I did this one tonight. And it's been years ago. But I remember it because it was a Perdomo event. And that's the cigar they were handing out. Wow. So, sounds like I am suitably humbled enough that I should probably try them again. Well, I, I have to say I was uh, pleasantly pleased with these examples. <clears throat> pleasantly. I had, um, you know, this is always the case. I think that my memory is better than it really is. So I had one of these a, uh, a month ago, something like that somewhere around there um, <clears throat> thinking, Oh, you know what? I'll remember what the, the thoughts are. I absolutely don't remember what I thought of that cigar at that point, but I can tell you it was much uh, less enjoyable than this sample was. A um, couple of things coming out of the chat room. Michael Stewart says it's his handwriting and tape. He, he delivered these for DC. Uh huh. Okay. And DC says it's the lot 23 Maduro. <clears throat> <clears throat> that, makes not, that makes sense. Not the cigar I smoked several years ago. I don't know that I've ever had this Maduro version, of it, unless there's only a Maduro. No, there's definitely a Connecticut version. I believe it's, it's Connecticut. Well, it's it's terrific, 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 terrific uh, example of a cigar. Just a little bit more expensive than I would have expected from. Uh, <clears throat> from Dan, we're looking at oh, I think right around six bucks a piece, something like that. Yeah, right around five fifty, six bucks a piece. You can pick up a five pack for twenty nine, thirty bucks uh, from some of your big boys. Um, I, I, I really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. I would have paid good money for this to have been a Tarano. I know you would have. <laughs> <laughs> but see now you're the second person to say that somebody put it in the chat room too I don't have a problem with Taranio in fact I would love if Taranio cigars were excellent I'm not going to wish ill on them at all I just I have no desire to reach for them that's that's what I mean yeah I understand there are quite a few brands I feel the same way about there you go Dun, dun, dun. Well, as we come to a close, we want to say another big thank you to DC for sending in the Unbanded and Michael Stewart for taking care of uh, getting everything lined up with it. Uh, and if you want to join us next time for episode 145, we will be smoking the Tatuaje Limited Edition 2014. Uh, we may even compare if I have a 2015 left. I'm not sure that I do. But, uh, 
check. And uh, anyway, I got lost lost in my own head there. But if you want to get in touch with us in the meantime, you can catch us by email to uh, Craig at halfashed.com or Kip at halfashed.com. And we'd love to hear from you. Whatever you got, comments, compliments, concerns, complaints, throw it at us. We, we, we dig it. Or you can stop by the forum. You can catch us there. We check in there usually most days, if not every day, pretty close to it, multiple times, uh, depending on the, the workload. Uh, or you can find us on any of the typical social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever. We're out there. And you can get all those links on the on the website at halfash.com. And the menu across the top, you just drop down, find social media, and it'll hook you up with us. Well, it's uh, been a couple weeks since we've recorded last. It's been a couple days since I've spoken to my good friend Kip, and uh, I'm in a good mood. Had a good time tonight, a great cigar. Really enjoyed the camaraderie. Hope everybody else did too. And I want to send tonight's show out to the person who uh, is going to gain an awful lot of fans when they deem the FDA's regulations invalid and unacceptable and to be null and void. That's that's who I'm going to dedicate this show to, the first person who brings us back into the time when we should be, when a cigar was a cigar and we didn't have to deal with uh, all the bullshit that goes along with it. So yeah, it's, a, it's a dream. It's a pipe dream. But uh, I'm still going to leave it out there in the ethers of the interweb forever. So, And everybody else who has given us their Friday night or whenever it is that you've chosen to listen to this episode. Sincerely, as always, I want to say good night, everybody, and thanks for listening.